Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the third podcast from the sun. I'm your host, Kyle. This is episode 18. Before we get started, I do have a quick plug I want to make. If any of you don't know that I have a YouTube channel, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, mostly I've just been putting the podcast up on there too, but I've started doing uh, videos, like little sketch comedy dealios. So if that sounds interesting, go check it out. Just type in the podcast name to YouTube and it should pop up. But that's enough self-advertising from me, so we're going to dive into it. This episode, it's been hot as shit out lately, so I think I'm going to do some um, colder stories to try and cool it down a little bit over here. I don't think that's how it works, but you know what? It's I've already picked them out, so that's what we're doing. So this episode, we're doing a Inuit story and a Siberian story. But of course, first we've got our Monster of the Week. And to go with our colder theme, this episode we've got a Russian creature, and this is called the Leshy. The Leshy is this big Slavic forest spirit dude. Like most forest spirits, they live out in the forest, and they act as sort of guardians to try and keep the plants and trees and animals safe. They're described as being humanoid, but they've got this sort of pallid skin, they've got green eyes, a green beard, and long straggly hair. They're also described as wearing their boots on the wrong feet and casting no shadow. They're also shapeshifters, so they can change how big they are. They can also turn into plants to hide and disguise themselves. Typically, there's only one leshy per forest, so each forest has its own personal guardian. Because they were tied to the forest, the leshies would die every winter and then come back in the spring again. And in springtime, they were really mad about dying, so they would fight with the other leshies. This would cause storms and floods, which were, you know, the nasty spring weather. They would also mess with travelers going through their forest. They would uh, take the shape of another traveler and give the person wrong directions, and then run off laughing, or various other pranks. So traditionally, people would leave offerings for the leshies to try and keep them happy and keep them from messing with people too much. And usually these offerings were things like salt or bread. Apparently, you could also outwit the leshy by turning all your clothes back to front, and that, that throws them off too, I guess. Four spirits and guardians like this are fairly common around different cultures, mostly because people usually saw the forest as a dark, spooky place, and they created monsters and guardians to live in it. Also, I wonder if there's another reason if some lumberjack was chopping down a tree, or someone was walking through the forest and a tree fell on them, and people thought, oh shit, there's the leshy knocking trees over on us, and that's why, that's where that came from. But it wasn't the leshy, it was just gravity. Basically, these guys are kind of like ants, because they'll protect the forest, they disguise themselves as trees, but they can move around, and that's, that's basically the same thing. Or like the tree guards from Don't Starve, they'll just, just bring to life and attack you if you mess with the forest too much. Which I wish we had in real life, because then deforestation might not be a problem if the trees kept attacking people who chopped down too many trees. Maybe? I don't know. That maybe we'd, we'd probably just nuke them, so maybe. Maybe not. Well, on that cheery note, let's move on to our stories now. So like I said before, our first story is an Inuit folk story. This story is called The Girl Who Married in Atlia Rusak. An Atlia Rusak is a type of elf or gnomish type creature in Inuit folklore. So here's the story. An aged couple had a daughter with a great many suitors. 
but the old people were very selfish and wanted to keep her at home. Meanwhile, a man came who was very anxious to get the daughter. At last he fought them and had nearly killed them, but the old man escaped and got into his boat. The other men of the place despised and scorned him, but they got the boat loaded and left. The others shouted to him contemptuously, It won't be easy for thee to get a husband for thy daughter. The poor old thing, who was quite unable to hunt, he to dare reject anyone. Only let him come to be in want of necessaries, and then look out if there would be anyone to help him. But he set off without deigning to answer them, and landed at one of the outermost islets. There they built their house, and put it up for the winter. One morning the old man awoke, saying, I wonder what I have just been seeing. Methinks I saw a man gliding through the doorway. He questioned his daughter, but she keeping silence, he got suspicious. When he woke the next morning, he saw a real man slip out of the doorway, and on being closely questioned, the daughter confessed that she was married to an Atlia Rusek. On hearing this, the father was very happy, but she went on, saying, For fear thou wouldst not like him, he keeps out of sight. If thou dost not mind, he will come and live with us. The father said it was all right, and he might come and take up his quarters with them at once. The next morning, the old man, on awakening, turned his eyes towards the entrance, but saw nothing remarkable there. But on turning round to his daughter's resting place, he saw a stout man sitting there beneath her lamp. The father was very well pleased, and leaned back on his couch, but listening again and peeping out, the man was not to be seen. Towards evening, the daughter several times left the room. At last she stayed away rather long, but for some time returned with a hunting line, which she hung up on a nail to dry, saying that he had returned and brought home the produce of his hunt, but they must take some part of it to his relatives. When her parents went outside, they saw many seals on the beach, they rejoiced very much at their sudden prosperity. The following morning, the old man peeped over the screen of the ledge, and there beheld the stranger reposing beside his daughter. The old man again lay down, believing him to be asleep. In a little while, however, he heard something stirring, at which he arose, the son-in-law had already taken himself off. He again spoke to his daughter, saying, Why do you not make him come and stay with us? We like him very well indeed. In the evening, when he again returned with his catch, he went inside and made himself at home. The parents were very civil to him. In the spring, he wanted to go further inland along the fjord side, as was generally his custom, but told them that he was obliged to join his parents, he being their only son, and as such he ought not to let his sisters be without protection. He then went away to his own home, and when they again met, he told them that they were now ready for starting. On hearing this, his father-in-law likewise put his boat into the water, and when it was ready loaded, and they were going to set off, another boat appeared, coming straight out of the beach. Both went along together, made the land at the same time in the evening. Next morning they again started, and when they approached an inhabited place, the headman of the Atlia Ruseks told them to always keep close in their wake, and, all of a sudden, they saw his boat sink beneath the surface and totally disappear. At this sight the old man got rather frightened, but on arriving at the same spot, their boat dived down in the same manner without any damage to the crew. Presently they caught sight of their companion's boat right ahead of them, and they continued their course beneath the waves of the sea. Having safely passed the inhabited places, they once more rose to the surface and continued their voyage without further peril, and when they arrived at the place of their destination, went reindeer hunting and got their boats fully laden. When the old people had again taken up their winter quarters, their son-in-law provided amply for them, and they prospered and were well off. About this time, intelligence reached them that the men who had once scorned and abused them were living in great want, 
The old man determined to help them. He loaded his kayak with matak and brought it to them. On his arrival, they asked him whence he had got it, whether it was not taken from the carcass of a whale that had been driven on shore accidentally. However, he left them without dating them an answer to this question, and talking over this matter on his return home, the son-in-law exclaimed, I should really like to have a look at these people. Whereat the old man went back to fetch off all the men who had formerly been his daughter's suitors, and returned with a large train of kayaks following him. They landed, and were very hospitably received, and regaled with reindeer meat and seal flesh. When they had satisfied their appetite, the old man accosted them thus, I wonder if ye can still remember what ye were telling me a long time ago, when ye had nearly killed me, wanting by a main force my daughter for your wife. Your words were these, Thou wilt surely never get a clever husband for thy daughter. But you see I have, for all that. Likewise, you said that you would deny me your assistance if ever I came in want. Now help yourself, if ye please, and eat as much as ever ye like. The End Like I said before, the Atlia Ruseks are these type of elves and gnomes, and they live along rocks on the seashore. And as you can see from these, they are very helpful, at least to the people they like. An interesting contrast here with other folklore is that a lot of other places, having your kids marry some fairy or elf or other creature is a bad thing. You don't want that to happen, but here it's clearly a very good thing. The story's also interesting because Ud expects the old couple to get punished for being stingy or whatever, but actually get rewarded for that. So it's an interesting setup how, from our perspective, from my perspective anyway, and from a more European story perspective, we think that they're going to get punished for their misdeeds, but they end up being rewarded. Then they also express virtue. They end up being generous and helping the people who were jerks to them earlier. So important moral lesson there of, of forgive, forget, and be the better person, and make sure your daughter marries some magical entity. So overall, very interesting story here, in that it tells us a lot about Inuit lifestyle and culture and values, and also how different it is from European stories of similar notes. See, this is why multiculturalism is cool. Speaking of multiple cultures, we've got another story. This comes from the native people of Siberia. This story is called How the Sun Was Rescued. Thus it was. Once upon a time, evil spirits stole the sun from the tundra dwellers, and in the everlasting gloom that followed, all the birds and beasts stumbled about seeking their food by touch. Soon, the birds and the beasts decided to call a grand council. Envoys were dispatched to the council from every species of animal and bird. The old raven, whom all considered wise, spoke up. My friends, how much longer must we dwell in darkness? I have heard that close to our land, in a great cavern, live the evil spirits who have stolen the sun. They keep in a white stone pot. If we steal the sun back from the evil spirits, we can light up our world again. So I, old raven, advise you to send the biggest and strongest among you, the big polar bear, to fetch the sun. The bear, the bear, cried all the animals. At that moment, the ancient half-deaf owl was busy repairing her sledge and noticed all the commotion. Asking the little snow bunting nearby for news, she was told that the polar bear was to be sent to fetch the sun. No, 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 cried the owl. That won't do at all. No sooner will he come upon some scrap of food than he'll forget all about his mission, and we'll never get the sun back. With that, they all had to agree. True enough, the bear will find some scrap of food and forget about everything else. The raven spoke again. Then let's send the wolf. After the bear, he is the strongest and he is much faster. Hey, 
What's that they're saying? The owl asked the snow bunting. They've decided on the wolf, replied the bunting. He is the strongest and swiftest of us after the bear. Fiddlesticks, snapped the owl. That wolf is greedy. He'll stop at the first deer he sees and gobble it up, and he'll forget all about the sun. Hearing the owl's words, the animals had to agree. Quite true, quite true, they said. The wolf is greedy, and when he sees a deer, he will stop to kill it and forget about the sun. But whom shall we send for the sun? Just then, a tiny mouse raised her squeaky voice. We should send the hare. He's the best runner amongst us. He'll fetch the sun back for us. Once more, the birds and beasts cried out, The hare, the hare, the hare. And for the third time, the deaf old owl asked the snow bunting what they were saying. Back came the answer. They want to send the hare for the sun, for he's the best runner who may catch the sun on his way. The owl thought for a bit and said, Yes, he may indeed steal back the sun. He hops well and skips well and is not selfish. Nobody will be able to catch him. So the hare was chosen. Without more ado, he went on his way guided by the raven. He hopped and skipped for many days across the lands, until at last he spied a shaft of light far ahead. As he came closer, he saw that rays of light were coming from under the earth through a narrow crack. When he put his eyes to the crack, he was able to make out a ball of fire lying in a great white stone pot, its rays lighting up a vast underground cavern. That must be the sun, thought the hare, and over there must be the evil spirits lying on those soft reindeer hides in the corner. The brave little hare squeezed through the crack, let himself down onto the floor of the cavern, and hopped over to where the ball of fire lay. He snatched it up from the stone pot, banged the ground hard with his hind legs, and sprang up through the crack. At once, the evil spirits rushed about, trying to squeeze through the crack in pursuit of the hare. In the meantime, the little hare ran as fast as his legs would carry him. All the same, it was not long before the evil spirits were on his heels. Just as they were about to grab him, he gave the ball of fire a hard kick with his hind legs, breaking it in two, one part small, the other big. With a second kick, he sent the smaller part flying high into the air until it reached the heavens, and there it became the moon. He then kicked the big part even higher, so that it soared into another region of the sky to become the sun. How bright it then became on earth. The evil spirits were blinded by the light and scampered back underground, never to appear on earth again and all the birds and the beasts praised the brave little hare who had rescued the sun. The End I don't know if any of you guys remember or listened to the older episode, but we did have an evil spirit show up in our Chukchi story, which geographically is kind of in the same general area as Siberia. Close enough anyway that the same cultural ideas can move back and forth, so we've got the same evil spirits in both of these stories. Another interesting thing in this is how familiar these values tied to the animals are, like the bear being big and strong, and the wolf being fast and powerful, the raven being clever and wise, the owl being wise, the hare being fast and cunning. It's these same values that a lot of other cultures and a lot of other stories tie to these same animals, both in the Americas and in Europe. When I first read this and saw that a raven was in it, I thought that the raven was going to steal the sun back, like in that Clinket story we looked at. Which didn't happen, but still similar themes of stealing the sun back for everyone, and a raven was still involved in both of these. I also like how the polar bear and the wolf were there, and they just sort of heard everyone shit-talk them and were cool with it. Like, they didn't raise a fuss, they just sort of heard everyone say, oh yeah, they, they suck, and they went, yeah, yeah, we do. Either that, or the owl mysteriously disappeared not long after this. 
The story just goes to show, though, that if you ever need to save the world, form a committee, then form a subcommittee. Committee is all the way down, and you've saved everything. So top tip there from Siberia. You'll see in a lot of these stories about the creation of the sun or the origin of the sun, that's also tied to the origin of the moon. Like most people looked up, saw the two bright lights in the sky, and were like, yeah, they're the same thing. But what's interesting about this is how it says the rabbit, the hare, kicked the sun further. So they actually correctly guessed that the sun was higher and further away from the earth than the moon was, which is quite interesting. But I'm afraid that's all I've got for this episode, so I hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, you know the drill, feedback, email, uh, YouTube. Yeah, check out the YouTube. There's, there's stuff on there now. And I'll be back in about two weeks' time, probably. And that is all. So I've been Kyle, this has been the show, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.